hope you're here in Jonah with us, and uh, we are we are going to eventually uh, finish Jonah. We've been here three weeks, and uh, we're in chapter one still. Uh, uh, most people will be done with Jonah by now, but we're in chapter one, so bear with me here. But uh, we we're gonna we're gonna finish up chapter one here, and I want to uh, today kind of give some concluding, overarching remarks, uh, truths, if you will, regarding uh, the book of Jonah, and uh, just. I hope that you're grasping the heart of God. I hope you're seeing what happens when we don't grasp the heart of God, when we don't receive the heart of God, accept the heart of God as it is. And God is graciously showing uh, not only Jonah, but really Jonah is representative of the nation of Israel. He's showing them that though you're my people, you don't really grasp my heart. Though I've chosen you, though though I've, I've been a husband to you, though I've cared for you, though I've loved you as I have... You, you don't really get my heart. You don't really understand my heart. But, but he's also showing us a picture of ourselves. Because, because unfortunately, if you're like me, as you read Jonah, you see a picture of yourself. I'm like Jonah. I, I, I don't know that oftentimes I grasp or understand God's heart. I, I don't know that when I, sometimes when, when we read this word, our tendency is just not to receive it. Not to, not, to, not to receive it in love or, or when God acts in our lives, we don't receive it well because we don't understand His heart. We get confused at times. We misunderstand a lot of times because we don't understand His heart. And when we don't understand His heart, we don't trust Him the way that we should. And, and what, he's, what He's dealing with here is He's wanting to transform Jonah's heart. He's wanting to take Jonah's heart from where it is to where it will just, it'll, be, it'll, it'll understand the greatness of who He is, but it'll also be transformed by the gospel. That, that God loves a people way beyond just the Jews. That He loves the Gentiles too, which would have been unthinkable for Jonah and the Jews. And, and that's what He's teaching him. Last week we looked at the truth that when, when we take the Word of God lightly, when we treat sin lightly, that not only do we suffer consequences, but everyone around us suffers consequences. When we, when we treat this Word lightly, when we treat sin casually... Look at verse uh, chapter 1, verse 12. We looked there, it said, Then the sea will become calm for you, Jonah said, For I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. In, in verse 14, that sailor said, They called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Jonah's sin affected not only Jonah, but it affected everyone around him. Everyone that he came in contact with. And the consequences for our sin not only fall on us, but they fall on those around us. And some of you, some of you are sitting here today and you know that all too well. And, and that, that pains me. Uh, you're, you're talk, I, I, I am somebody who, I hate to deal with the consequences of other people's behavior. That is very difficult for me at times. I do enough foolish things on my own and suffer the consequences. I don't need your consequences falling on me. But yet that's the reality of the world we live in. And these men are suffering because of Jonah's sin. Jonah's refusal to submit to the word of God. Really, the the core is Jonah's misunderstanding of the heart of God. And not receiving this word as from a God who is loving, rich in, rich in mercy. A God whose love goes way beyond the bounds that, that they would have understood or, or thought of at that time. And, and the reality is, we said, we do not sin in isolation. That, that's the reality. We do not sin in isolation. That is a lie from the enemy. Oh, it's just a little white lie. It's just a thought in your head. You're not hurting anybody. It's just something you're... No, you are hurting somebody. We don't sin in isolation. We don't sin in private. And, and our lack of personal holiness has effects not only on our own lives, but everyone around us. That's, that's what we see in Jonah. Our, our taking the Word of God lightly has far-reaching, far-impacting consequences. That will, that's what we see in Jonah. And the costs of sin are, are greater than we could ever imagine. The, the shrapnel, if you will, of our sin hit people that we never ever would have imagined. 
And they pay for our sin. They suffer consequences. And so today I want to follow up on that with, with, a, with a, hopefully an encouraging and yet challenging truth. And, it, and it's somewhat of a, a summary of, of a, the truth that we draw from Jonah 1 and we see from God here. And it's this, that we serve a merciful God who isn't looking for religious people. But he's looking to build a people whose hearts are transformed by the gospel. We serve a merciful God that isn't looking to just build a religious people. He's not looking for a people that are just going through the motions. He's building a people whose hearts are transformed by the gospel, whose hearts are changed. You can go to Jeremiah 31, you can go to Ezekiel 36, we won't. But God says, I will give them a new heart, I will put a new heart in them. Because ultimately, that, that's the root of our sin, and we have heart problems. Jonah had a heart problem. And all throughout the Old Testament, you see time and time again the effects of Israel's heart problem. It would, not only did Israel suffer the consequences, but everyone around them suffered the consequences. You, you can look at Abraham. Abraham tries to manipulate things. He goes down to Egypt. He takes all that trouble with him. And when it's realized, again, he says, hey, the king says, get out of here. You're bring, you're, I don't want any part of that. The people of Israel, they turn to foreign gods. And guess what happens? There was... There was calamity. There were consequences. But it was all rooted in a heart problem. I mean, Moses is on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments from God, and God's people are at the base of the mountain forming a golden calf to worship. A heart problem. A heart problem. And, and what we see in Jonah is the heart, of God's the heart of God towards the world here. It's not only Israel, but it's toward the world. It's to Gentiles. And he's saying, I'm going to use you, a Jew, to take that word to the Gentiles. And that blew, God, that blew Jonah's mind. He, he was not willing to accept that. And, and Jonah is in disobedience, and yet how does God respond? I had Lee read that whole chapter because I, I want you to see, how did God respond to Jonah's disobedience? And God responded with grace. With grace. Were there consequences? Yes. But there was grace. Were there storms? Yes. But they were grace-filled storms. And God longs for His people, to, for His creation to repent of their sinfulness. He longs for, for creation to repent of their sinfulness. Otherwise, why would He be prolonging judgment? If that weren't the case, He should have just killed us all for our sin. But instead, what did he respond? He responded by sending his son to pay the penalty for our sin. Because he longs for his people, his creation, to repent. Salvation is there. It's a gift. I mean, why else would God, as we saw in, in verse 1, why else would God reveal himself? Why would he reveal himself through nature? Why would he reveal himself through the person of Jesus Christ? Why would he empower the apostles to write this word so that we could know who he is why because he wants a relationship he's not interested in just a religious people he's interested in a relationship he's not interested in just being married he's interested in the relationship with his bride and he cares for his bride and, and there's a coming a day hear me there's coming a day where god will judge all that he will offer to us is judgment all that he will offer to the world is judgment but right now, he's offering the grace through Jesus Christ. And the same question Jonah faced with is the same question we're going to face with. What are we going to do with that grace that's offered? What are we going to do with the mission that's offered? God has offered an opportunity for us to be involved with the greatest thing in all the world that we could give our lives to, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's saying, how are you going to respond? How will you respond? God is offering today, through the person of Jesus Christ, grace instead of death. He's offering grace instead of punishment through the person of Jesus Christ. How are we going to respond? In the same way, how did, how did the chosen Israel respond the same day he says, How is my bride? How is my church going to respond? How is my church going to steward God's grace? And, and again, grace is, this is not a grace that overlooks sin. It's a grace that loves. 
It's a grace that disciplines. It's a grace that's merciful in the midst of our sin. And that's exactly what we see in Jonah. It's a grace, it's a grace that deals with our sin, but he deals with it mercifully. He deals with it graciously. He deals with it justly. We see this all over Jonah's life, but if we were honest, I think we would see it all over our own lives. That God deals graciously, but justly. Graciously, but mercifully. Graciously, but rightly with our sin. And whether you're here today as a, as a believer in Jesus Christ, whether you're here today and somebody brought you and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ... You cannot deny God's gracious benevolence towards you. That He's been gracious towards you. Pre-salvation grace, salvation grace, post-salvation grace. John 1.16 says, And of His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. That, that's the challenge between in, in living a life where we're trying to pay God back. You can't because the grace is calculating at a compound rate to where you can't even pay off the grace you've already been shown. Much less try to grace the, pay off the grace you are being shown and will be shown. Instead, he's saying, just respond to my grace. Respond to my love. Respond. And, and if we're honest, just like Jonah if we're honest, oftentimes, unfortunately, we abuse grace. If we're honest. I think we take advantage of grace. We distort grace. We, abuse, we make it something that it's not. And yet God dealt with Jonah, but He dealt with him graciously. In dealing with Jonah and his sin, He never contradicted who He was. And in your life, when he deals with your sin and when he deals with my sin, he's not going to contradict who he was. When we suffer the consequences for other people's sin, he's not going to contradict who he was, who he is. I say was, that's a bad word, like, like he's changed, who he is. It doesn't contradict his character. And, and we neglect God's grace, we spurn God's grace, we abuse it. We run from it, we distort it, we hide it from others, we, we try to hide it from ourselves. And how does God respond? With more grace. Does He deal with sin? Yes, He deals with it. He deals with it. He disciplines. Hebrews 12, we saw that. But He does it with grace. He disciplines us to, to redeem us. God is always, always gracious. Does he, does he judge sin? Absolutely He judges sin. He has to. He cannot in His character let sin go unpunished. But the reality is this, is you and I don't have to stand in the judgment of our sin anymore. That's the cross. And God graciously put the sin of the whole world on Jesus Christ's shoulders. He dealt with the punishment of the sins of the whole world. Jesus came so that we would not have to face the penalty of our sin. And through faith in Christ, we don't have to face the penalty of our, our sin is forgiven. It's de the debt is forgiven. It's wiped clean. It's removed. And that is through faith alone in Christ. Is that possible? And, and that's really what he's, what he's saying to Jonah. You, you've been chosen. Israel was chosen by grace. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You don't warrant it. You don't even live up to it, and yet what do I keep? I continue to be gracious to you because I've betrothed myself to you. I've espoused myself to you. And, and just, like in, just like Israel, we as believers today, we're in that same phase. We're waiting for our bride, for our groom, Christ, to come back for His bride, the church. And in that time, you know what He says? Hey, get ready. Get ready for the wedding. Get ready for the wedding. Oh, and by the way, go invite everybody you can to the wedding. Make sure they're ready too. And that's exactly what he is doing here with Jonah. It's grace. I, I was talking with John yesterday and he reminded me that you look at even Adam and Eve in the garden. When Adam and Eve sinned, God had said the punishment of that sin is death, but it did not come for a long time. It was grace. They deserved death. And what did God do? He killed an animal and He clothed him. And all the way back in Genesis 3, you see a picture of the gospel because what did, what did God ultimately do? 
Ultimately, God killed His Son. And He clothed you with the blood of His Son. Not the blood of a ram. Not the blood of a goat. But the blood of His Son. And in Genesis 3.15, He tells Satan, Hey, you're going to bruise my son, but he's going to crush your head. He's going to crush your head, Satan. Our sin is dealt with. It's been dealt with at the cross. And what God is saying, He's saying, saying, grasp my heart here, people. Understand how much I love you. Understand how much not only I love you, but how much I love everyone else out there. Because just like you didn't deserve it, they didn't deserve it. Don't be like Jonah and think you deserved it and they don't deserve it. Nobody deserved it. And yet God sent His Son. And God is do, what God is doing here, He's saying, I'm not looking for a religious people who go through the motions. I'm looking, for a, 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 I'm looking to build a people that's hearts are transformed by the gospel, who will fall in love with Him madly, deeply, who understand how greatly I love them, and they can't help but go tell the world about how great a Savior I am. That's what He's teaching Jonah. They missed it. And when God's people, when we fail to grasp what God is doing in the gospel, what He has done through the gospel what He will do through the gospel, not only us, but others around us suffer. When we stay quiet, when we refuse to go to people, when we refuse to take that gospel, people suffer. When we don't live, when we don't live lives that, 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 are, that are gripped by the greatness of what God has done, people around us suffer. Jonah was willing for the Ninevites to perish and go to hell just because he didn't like them. He didn't think they were worthy of it. And yet, in my life, in your life, we could say the same thing to people. Just by staying quiet. Just by refusing to go. We're Jonah. And, and what I want to show us today is we, in the midst of that, in the midst of that, God is gracious. In the midst of the fact that God has saved me, that He has set me apart, that I still battle with sin, I still run back to my sin, I still fall prey to sin, God is still gracious as he, in, in how He loves me as His child. And we see that in Jonah. And, and what I want us to see, because I believe what God is teaching me, and, 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 and if I didn't have so far to go, may, maybe you'd get a different message. I don't know. Get a, get a pastor that's better than me. But God, God's working on my heart here. And, and, and misery loves company, as I said. So I'll just share it with you all. But what God wants is a, is a strong belief in the gospel. What God wants from His people, is what we need is a strong belief in the gospel. An unwavering, an unwavering belief in the gospel. No, no matter what it is. I'm of the strong conviction in my own life and in everyone else's lives as I talk to them and counsel them. No matter what it is that we're battling with in our life, the root of it is unbelief. No matter what sin that we're battling with in our life, the root of that sin is unbelief. There is a, there is a portion of God, a, a part of His character, a part of His nature, a part of His re revealed Word. There is something about who He is that we're not believing. We're not believing. And so we turn to other things. We essentially say to the world, you're not enough. And sin in our life ultimately revolves around a failure for us to grasp who God really is. It's unbelief. You can go all the way back again. It started in the garden. What did Satan came to Adam and Eve? God was clear eat from any tree of the garden except this one. And what does the enemy say? He says, if you do that, you'll die. What does, the enemy, what does God say? God didn't really say you die, did he? Doubt. He's introducing doubt. You know, God didn't really say that in the Word of God. He didn't really mean that in the Word of God. Just doubt. It's rooted in doubt. I mean, you don't, you don't really believe you'll die. I, you, come on. God's not really going to kill you if you eat of that fruit. Really? He's not going to do that. Same lies told today. Hey, you know what? That's really not going to hurt you. Just do it. It's really not going to hurt anybody. It feels good. Do it. No one else is going to know about it. Just do it. Doubt. It's doubt. And, and what we need, what the people of God need more than anything, is, is a strong belief.
an unwavering confidence in this word. Look with me at John 20. The Gospel of John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. It'll come up on the, the screens there. John 20, verse 30 and 31. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. He's saying, hey, this ain't all Jesus did. It, it, it goes way beyond. But look what John writes. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. John is telling you the whole purpose for me writing this gospel is what? That you'd believe that Jesus is the Christ. He's saying what you need more than anything else in your life is a strong belief that Jesus is who He says He is. Because the world is going to come at you. The world is going to lie to you. The world is going to tell you that He's not who He is. There's circumstances that are going to challenge you as to whether He is who He is. And you, you need an unwavering belief that God is who He says He is no matter what is thrown at you. What... what what we learn in our own life, what we learn from Jonah is this. If we really believed what we say we really believed, then I dare say many of us in here would live drastically different lives, including this person behind the pulpit. If we really believed what we say we really believed. If we really, really knew and grasped and took by faith the heart of God. If we really did. If we really trusted Him. If I was really, that word believed literally means to lean one's entire weight upon. To lean your entire weight upon. And, and the proof of that, that I ask myself about how much I'm believing is this. How often do you share the gospel, Chris? Are there people that you don't share the gospel with? Why don't you share the gospel with them, Chris? Are, are you worried about their opinion of you? Do you really believe that the gospel is the one and only way to heaven? That might be the issue. Do you really believe that Christ is the one and only? Belief. Chris, why won't you accept, why won't you accept God's attitude on that? Do you believe Him? Chris, why won't you, conform your, you know, seek to conform your actions to the words of God? Do you believe Him? It, it always, why, Jonah, why won't you go to the Ninevites? Do you believe God called you to the... Do you believe Him? You go back to Israel and David and Goliath. You know why they were afraid of Goliath? You know why they were afraid of the Philistines? Because they didn't believe God. Four chapters later, God had told them, I'll deal with the Philistines. Don't worry about the Philistines. Their lack of belief put them in the position they were in. They did not believe God. And now this giant is standing in front of them. And they're scared to death. And what motivated David to take on Goliath? It wasn't praise, it wasn't prominence, it wasn't reward. It was the name of God. I'm going to trust the name, I'm going to trust the word of God. God said, we got this, we're going. You look at Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What drove them? Hey, Nebuchadnezzar, whether, whether our God saves us or not, you know what, I'm not bowing down to your gods. You know why? Because I have an unwavering belief in my God. That no matter what you do to me, it's not going to work. It's not going to separate from me from my God. It was belief. Belief is what put them in that fiery furnace. Belief. And, and when it comes to sin, when it comes to our personal holiness, when it comes to our walk with the Lord, the question is, why are we any less casual? Because if I had, if I had a 55-gallon drum down here full of water, and I just dropped a speck, of poison in it and swirled it around real good, I guarantee you nobody in here would drink it. But yet, why? Because you believe wholeheartedly that drinking poison is not good for you. But the question is, why, why am I less casual with the Lord? Why am I less casual with the Word? And if, if I really believed it, I, I, I would live differently. And I've been really provoked. There's a, there's a pastor in, in Texas that two years ago, um, when we were at the, we had a chance to go to the Southern Baptist Convention with Pastor Ken, and uh, he spoke and probably gave the greatest sermon, I've, one of the greatest sermons I've ever heard in my life. And it happened to be on the book of Jonah. 
And, and I pulled it up. I, I had taken some notes and I, and I found those miraculously. I'm terrible at filing, but I miraculously found those. And, and it, really, it really provoked me. And, and much, of what, much of what today is is sort of an overflow of, of the provoking of that sermon. And, and provoked in a good way. And, and he helped me to realize that just like Jonah, we all have a tendency to make God out to be who we want Him to be. We have a tendency to think of God the way we want to think of Him. How we like to think of Him. Instead of reading the Word of God and simply taking Him for who He is. And you know what he called that? He called that idolatry. We don't like to use that word. We think of idolatry, that's an Old Testament issue. It's an old, that's an Old Testament issue. They're building a calf or... You know, we think of idolatry as this man sitting Indian style with his hands up and he's a statue in the middle of somebody's... We think of that as idolatry. But, but he wounded me. He said, no, what? that's idolatry, Chris. And idolatry is subtle. It's so subtle. And I think Jonah suffered from the same idolatry. He had in his mind a picture of who God was, what he was like, and when God revealed himself differently, he wasn't willing to accept it. Didn't match up. And, and idolatry is subtle in this. Idolatry moves to the center of our lives and it slowly just pushes God to the peripheral. It doesn't get Him out of your life. It just pushes Him off to the side of your life. Pushes Him off to the peripheral. He's in your life. But He's not the center of your life. And, and we always have to pe keep putting Christ at the center of our lives. I've always got to keep drawing myself back to the gospel. Back to the cross. But idolatry, the idolatry that this pastor talked about was, was even more subtle than that. And he said the problem is, is this idolatry that, I, that, that we see in Jonah, the where it breeds the most and where it exists only is in the church. It's in the church. He says it's alive and well in the church. And he says it, it's where it's in our churches where it thrives. And he says this, it thrives in the people of God. And I'm thinking, what's this guy going? Where's he going with this? And he says it's extremely dangerous and it's extremely subtle because the reality is it doesn't appear to be an idol. It doesn't appear to be an idol. And the idolatry that, is, that, that I believe Satan attacks all of us with is this. You worship the right God in the wrong way. You think of the right God, but you think of Him in the wrong way. You worship the right God, but you don't allow Scripture to paint the picture of who that God is. You're not willing to receive Him exactly as He has revealed Himself. It, we hold on to the right God, but we believe in Him in a way that He is not. And we take the right God and we just conform Him to kind of our image, how we want to think of Him. It's getting God to revolve around our lives instead of allowing our lives to revolve around God. And he said it's idolatry. And the danger is, is you steam, we seem to be worshiping God. I mean, we're, we're holding on to the, to the right God, we think, but we're believing Him in a way that He's not, in a way that's inconsistent with how He's revealed Himself. And the reality is, instead of in conforming our lives to Scripture, we begin to conform that God to our lives. We begin to conform Scripture to our lives. Jonah says, hey, that can't be the way God is. Certainly, he'll, he'll be okay with me running over here to Tarshish. He, he, no, I'm not doing that. I'm going over here. As if that was Okay. And, and, and like I've said before, uh, at the beginning of this, we find ourselves worshiping a God that loves everything we love, hates everything we hate, loves the people we love, hates the people we hate. That's a great God to worship. But the sad thing is, is He doesn't exist. That God doesn't exist. And the challenge is for us is we can build our lives around a supposed God that doesn't exist. And then when storms come, when trials come, we're running to a God that does not exist. We're trusting in a God that, of our own making that doesn't exist. It's, a, it's an idol. It's really, we end up worshiping ourselves. And that's Jonah. 
But that's also Chris Basham. That's the tendency. That is the very strong tendency is to come to this word and read it through the film and the filter of my own life instead of allowing my life to be filtered by the word of God. And in the grace of God, listen to me, in the grace of God, he will bring us to place just like he does here to Jonah where he will reveal unequivocally who he is. He will bring his people to a place where they have no, they, they, they are faced with the reality of who God really is. And that's grace. That's grace. It might be through a study of the word. It might be through a conversation. For David, it was Nathan. Nathan comes to date King David and paints this picture of a guy who has a hundred sheep, a hundred little lambs, and then he goes after the man that only has one. And David was like, kill that joker. You're the man, David. That's the grace of God. Confronting, with, confronting David with a picture of who God really is, confronting David with a picture of who he really is, that's grace. And that's exactly what God does right here with Jonah. And I pray that's exactly what God would do for us. If there's anything about God, about God that we're trusting in that does not exist, that God would cut it loose. That He'd confront us with that and we'd be willing to let it go. Because Jonah... Jonah has kind of in his mind, and, and I think we have a tendency to come up with this God that, of our own liking, instead of embracing God's heart. And the question, the question of Jonah and the question for us is, will you embrace the heart of God as it is revealed in Scripture? Will you trust God for who He has revealed Himself to be, no more, no less? And Jonah essentially says, no, I will not embrace that part of God. Go to Nineveh and preach the gospel. No, I will not embrace that part of your heart, God. I will not do it. Jonah's a prophet. That's the, his whole existence was around preaching the gospel. And he says, no, I'm not going to do it. He was telling the word of God. He says, no. People of God, church of God, our whole existence is formed around sharing with others the love and the grace and the mercy that God has shown to us. Are we willing to accept that? Are we willing to embrace that? And, and yet, if, if I was God, I would have been done with Jonah way before God was, okay, next, get him out of here, next, get somebody else in here. Let's. God doesn't act that way. And thankfully, he didn't act that way with Jonah and not with us. And God sent some circumstances. God sent some storms into his life. And they exposed not only who God was, but they exposed who Jonah was. And, and I think the reality is in our life, I, I think he does the same thing. And God's grace in storms, hear me, the good news, God's grace in storms is a refining grace. It's a redemptive grace. It's a redemptive grace. God was drawing Jonah back. He was bringing Jonah to the realization of who he really was. He was, he was standing face to face before him and says, this is who I am. Take my heart. It, it wasn't, it, God's grace is not a brush it under the rug kind of grace. It's, it's a redemptive grace. First it was in verse 4, he hurled a great wind. Then later on, the lot fell on Jonah. Then later on, it was throwing Jonah overboard. And the seas calmed. Verse 17, it was a fish that swallowed Jonah. It was grace. But it was redemptive grace. And in our lives, it's the same way. God used these storms, these circumstances in Jonah's life to bring not only Jonah to repentance, but those around him to repentance. He might use the same in your life. Not only to bring you repentance, but to bring others to repentance. And that's good. When we have a heart that's gripped by the gospel, we will be okay with that. And we're going to see that. The irony is that Jonah did not want the Gentile Ninevites to repent, but the Gentile sailors that he entrusted his life to repented. They turned. I mean, and that's, that's just the amazing goodness of God. That, that's God doing great things in spite, of my, in spite of my sinfulness, in spite of me. And some of us today may be dealing with circumstances that we had nothing to do with. They may be circumstances that we had everything to do with. 
They may be part of someone else's actions or lack of actions. They may be part of my actions, lack of actions. I want to encourage us with some truths that we can grow and glean from from chapter 1 as we walk through these. Because no matter whether you cause the storm or whether somebody else caused the storm, God is revealing Himself and He's revealing you in the midst of it. And as you're wondering what's going on, I want to give you some encouragement, not only from Jonah, but we see it all over the Bible. And the first one is this. Storms are always, always under God's control. The circumstances that you find yourself under, they're always under God's control. Verse 4, verse 12, verse 14, it was very clear that God is the one who did this. God did this. God controlled every single aspect of this. And and the interesting thing is, you say, yeah, well, Jonah deserved it. What about Job? Job didn't deserve it. And yet, all throughout the book of Job, God is sovereign. God controlled every bit of it. Sometimes we cause the storm. Sometimes Satan causes the storm. Sometimes our own sin causes a storm. Understand this. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter who caused the storm because God is sovereign over the storm. So we can, we can be like John 9 and say, well, who sinned? This person or that person? Or why is this man born blind? God says, none of them sinned. This man's blind because I'm going to get glory through his blindness. So at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. And I'm not making light of sin. If sin causes a storm, you need to deal with it. But it doesn't contradict the fact that God is still sovereign over the storm. And and Romans 8.28 is still good that He's going to bring it to conform you to the image of His Son, no matter who caused it. And that's what He's doing here. He's conforming Jonah to the image that he ought to be conformed. And in your life, and in my life, guess what He's doing? Romans 8.29, He's conforming us to the image of the firstborn. To his son. God is sovereign over the storms. And, and I realize that when we think of that word, there in all of our minds, there are circumstances that come about. Well, why this? And why didn't why this and why that? You I hear me, as even as I even as I was working through this, my mind, names from people in this congregation are rolling through my mind. And I don't have all the answers other than the fact that I know the character of my God. And I can trust that. And I know that He's over it. And, and, but he, and here's the good news. Here's the good news. Believers, believers can be confident in the storm. Why? Because God is so in control over the storm. Every aspect of this, the height of the waves, the depth of the sea, everything... Charles Spurgeon said this, There is no attribute more comforting to his children than that God is sovereign. That ought to bring comfort. And we can be be confident in his sovereignty if we know his heart and if we've embraced his heart. If we've embraced his heart. He's all wise, he's all lowing, he's all loving, he's rich in mercy, he's gracious, he's, he's loving, his kindness never ends. But if we don't know those about our king, then we're going to struggle. It's knowing his heart. It's embracing his heart. And if we're trusting in a God that doesn't exist, there's going to be big time troubles when we walk through a storm. If we're relying on, if we've made out God to be kind to what we think he is and kind to what the Bible, you can't rely on that part of God that you made up. That's the danger of idolatry. The foolishness. It doesn't help. It doesn't work. Because that God doesn't exist. And and only the God of this Bible is a sure foundation. That's what he's teaching Jonah. That's what he's teaching Israel. That's what he's teaching us. Only the sure foundation of this word can we rely on. Not the world. Not in his wisdom. It's the word. And he says, get to know me. If you'd get to know me, you'll trust me. If you'll understand my heart and embrace my heart, you'll love me. And God might be doing the very same thing in your life. He might be helping you to understand that you're not in control, that you're not sovereign, that He is. And He might be doing exactly what He did in Jonah's life. He might be using your struggle to bring others to repentance. He might. And guess what? He can do that. He's the potter, we're the clay. 
But what I want us to do, I want us to be a people that trust His heart no matter what. No matter what, that we would trust His heart. So, so not only do storms, and not only does Jonah teach us that, that God is over His sovereignty, is over all storms, but storms expose our hearts for what they truly are. Storms expose us. They expose what we're believing in. They expose what we're trusting in. And, and you see that all over. You see it in Jonah. You see it in the sailors. And this storm exposed, this circumstance, this exposed Jonah's heart. Selfishness, lack of obedience, nationalism, pride, fear. All those things were exposed in Jonah. And storms can have a positive and they can have a negative. They expose us for, what they true, for, for who we are and God uses storms oftentimes to reveal to us problems that are in the heart. It's almost like a, uh, I have had a check engine light on in my truck for about three years. I just ignore it. I mean, I don't know what it means. I think it's a conspiracy. I think they programmed those things to come on just to get me to go into the shop. And, but storm, the reality is that circumstances in your life can be just what that check... And matter of fact, talking about God's sovereignty, honoring my ignorance, my delay. I got a letter in the mail just the other day that said, hey, if you've got a 19... Or what is it, mine? A 2007 Pontiac Torrent and the check engine light is on, you might be in line for a free repair. I'm like, yes. See that? Procrastination pays. It pays. God is sovereign. Even in my own sinfulness, putting my whole family apparel. But I just, I, I, think it's a, I think it's a conspiracy. That thing's been on forever. Sometimes it goes off and then like a day later it comes back on. So I know it don't mean anything real. It's just pretend. But, but, but look, the warning lights on that dashboard, you know what they, in honesty, assuming they were integrity about it, they're trying to warn you. The good news is, is this light is yellow. My dad always told me, Yellow light means hurry up. Red light means you're done. That red light shows up on the dashboard, it's over. Yellow light, you're given a little bit of grace to go fix something. This thing is yellow. It hasn't changed to red yet, so i got time. But, but God sends these things. My point is, God's, God allows us to walk through things to expose our heart. To expose to us the things that we're trusting in that we should not be trusting in. Because we're stubborn. And guess what? Until my truck breaks down, I'm not fixing it. And oftentimes, listen to this, until your life breaks down, you don't tend to fix it. It's the same thing. If what I'm doing keeps getting me the result I'm doing, guess what? I keep doing it. Until what I'm doing doesn't get the result that I desire, it's only then that I'll stop. And even then, sometimes I keep doing it. And God says, I'm going to show you my heart, but I'm also, Jonah, I'm going to reveal the nation of Israel's heart here. We're not going to walk together any longer as a people with you misunderstanding my heart. And, and let me ask you, the storms that you're in or that you've been through, what did they reveal about your heart? What, sometimes that's not fun to answer. Sometimes they revealed us that we're trusting in people and things that we should not be trusting in. Sometimes they revealed us that we've built our whole foundation, our whole life on things that are not stable, that are not sure. That's why Jesus said, you build your rock on, on me, it's a sure foundation. In, what is it, Matthew 7, I think. You build your life on the world and the things of the world, it's sand. It's going to erode. When the storms come, it's going to fall down. And guess what it says? And great was its fall. Great was its fall. And God is telling them, I'm the rock that you can build your life on. He's telling us, I'm the rock. That come what may, I haven't moved. Come what may, I haven't changed. Because here's the deal. Ever since Genesis 3, Satan is Genesis 4, 4. Prowling around, he is, sin is crouching at your door. It's crouching at your door. 1 Peter 5, 8, the devil prowls around like a prowling lion, looking, prowling lion, looking for someone to devour. Satan wants to destroy your life individually. He wants to destroy your family corporately. And he's going to do it through circumstances. And if we're trusting in other things, we're going to be exposed for that. 
And God in His grace, just like in Jonah, in His grace He'll allow us, even put us somewhere to expose our heart. To let that yellow light come on the dashboard before the whole engine blows up. And that's what He's doing with Jonah and the people of God. And we can look real religious when times are good, when life is easy, and then a storm hits, and guess what? We run around like crazy men. Why? Because our foundation was rocked. Because we were exposed. Because the storm revealed to us what we were really trusting in instead of the sure rock of God. And God in His grace, hear me, it is grace, He will draw us away from the false foundations. He will draw us away from the things that we're trusting in. He will draw us away from idols. And we have to trust that when He does that, He's good. Our tendency is to question His character. Our tendency is to question Him. Psalm 20, I mean, Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. God is faithful when He's doing this. And the reality is, Parent, don't you do that to your own kids? You have a perspective that your kids know nothing about. Don't you look ahead and you protect them? Don't you draw them away and say, yeah, that's not really not a good idea. Hey, Dad, I'm about to do something. He don't say it like this, but Brad or Sarah will say, Dad, I'm about to do something real stupid. I just don't know it's stupid. Okay, have fun, kids. No, you're like, hey, yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend doing that. Just... And I must tell Bradley and Sarah all the time, guys, I, I, I'm asking you that you would just trust me. When I share something with them, when they're going through something, and Karen or, or I will talk to them, well, I must say it all. I, guys, they'll question me and this and that. Guys, I really wish that you would just trust me. Trust my heart. And then you know what? This little voice inside of me, it's almost like God is saying, Chris, you know what? I wish the same thing. Chris, I wish you'd just trust me. I wish you'd just rely on me. When I tell you in the Word to stay away from that, I wish you'd just trust me. The same way that you wish Bradley and Sarah would just trust you is the same thing I wish for you. I wish you'd just trust me. I wish you'd just grasp my heart. I wish you'd just believe that I'm for you and not against you, that I'm not keeping you from things. I'm keeping you for things. Because God is no less loving than we are. He's greater than we are. You see, I'm, I am not perfectly loving, I'm inconsistent, I'm unjust, I'm unmerciful, I'm unloving, I'm ungracious, I'm all those things. Every moment of my life, it's like a shake it up and see what you get some days. I don't know. God is never that way. He never wavers. James says, with the Father, there's no shifting of shadows. He's always consistent. And storms are meant by God. Listen to this. Listen to this. It's on your handout. Storms are not meant by God to pay us back for our sin. They are meant to bring us back from our sin. They're not meant to pay us back. They're to bring us back. God is bringing Jonah back. Storms are not designed as retribution, but instead for restoration. We have a God who is interested in reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5.8, he says, he's, uh, 5.18 and following, he's given us that same ministry of reconciliation. Luke 14, Luke 15, Luke 16, all throughout the Gospels, Jesus came to reconcile a lost world to himself. And when we waver, what does it say? He says he goes after us in Luke 14. He goes after us. And he may go after you just like he did with Jonah in a storm. But he's good. Trust God. Embrace his heart. Embrace his heart. And lastly, and we'll close, storms reveal to us who God truly is and what He is really like. Storms will bring us face to face with who, not only who we are, but who God is. How much He hates sin, how much He desires for people to repent. And again, a, a life of Christ is not smooth sailing. You hear that from a lot of people, don't buy it. In, in 2 Timothy, I think it's 3.12, it says, Those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Romans 18, for I do not consider the present sufferings are worthy to be compared to the glory that has been revealed in us. Guess what you get? You get a cross, believer. They crucified our Savior. They're going to the world is going to crucify us. And he says, hey, understand what I'm really like. In the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the trial, trust me. Trust me. 
You look at Romans 5. We won't go there, but you look at Romans 5. Paul talks about the joy that is created through sufferings and character and proven hope. In 1 Peter 4, 4, he says, Do not be surprised by this fiery ordeal, knowing that it brings about faith. In James 1, he says it brings about perseverance. All these great men of God went through great things. And you know why? You know why they could trust in the midst of that? Because they knew who God was. They knew who God was. They could all rejoice because their, rejoice, their, their rejoicing revolved around God, not around their circumstances. They could embrace their trials because their joy was found in who God is. And the last thing there on your handout, if you want, if you want what is of this world, then storms will cost you dearly. But if what you want is God, then storms can bless you immensely. Because guess what you're going to get in a storm? You're going to get more of God. Jonah got more of God. Storms bring us into greater intimacy with Christ. Paul said in Philippians 3.10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the what? The fellowship of His sufferings. There was a fellowship that was not grown through comfort. It was grown through trial. And storms reveal us. They reveal God. And I pray that God would grip our hearts that we would fall in love with who he is that we would take his mission on as our own and as other gods creep into our lives that we would focus on god that's what hebrews 12 says fixing our eyes on jesus the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising his shame and 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 died he died fix your eyes on the cross fix your eyes on the cross In the midst of a storm, fix your eyes on the cross. In the midst of a trial, fix your eyes on who you know God to be in the cross. You can trust Him. And know that God is gracious. Even when He exposes us for who we really are, He's being gracious. It's like the warning light on the dashboard. He's being gracious. Because He's drawing you back to Himself. And ultimately, ultimately, that's what the cross says. The cross is an invitation to come. It's an invitation to come. And God has offered himself to anyone who wants to believe, and he's done it in the cross. And I pray, I pray that everyone here is trusting in that.